Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Uh, it, we thought it was going to be the usual result there for a few seconds. The Blues scored late and took a 2-1 to one lead, but the Canadians got it out. Unfortunately, uh, our trade deadline special with CJ will have to wait. His stomach turned during the broadcast when he was on TSN. Can't make it tonight. We're going to figure out a time where it's going to happen. I apologize for that. But Julian and I, who I'm bringing in right now, are going to break down the Canadians' first win in uh, how long has it been, Julian? I, I saw somebody say 11 games. It feels more like 50. This is their second win since Christmas. Whew. It's I think the last time was January 18th, I want to say, which would have come against either Colorado. Dallas. It was against Dallas. It was the game when um, uh, Tyler Sagan and Jonathan Drouin got into it. That's right. Yeah, Dallas game. That was a fun game. Another game where Montebo was amazing, right? Yeah. Well, uh, Sam Montebo, I'll give him this. Like, especially over these last few games under Martin St. Louis, like he's responded pretty well to to how the team has played much better in front of him. Uh, He hasn't cost them games because of goaltending. Uh, I'm going to try to write about it later tonight for the Athletic. But I think of anyone on that Canadiens roster who deserves like a win, it's Sam Montembo. Cole Caulfield, we'll, we'll get to him, I'm sure. Uh, you know, he's working hard to try to get himself goals and other guys on the team are, are doing what they can to just kind of enhance their confidence. But at the end of the day, like it's been said all the time, if you're a goalie, tend the goal and they're the ones who ultimately let those pucks in or keep them out to preserve a victory or lead to a loss. So Sam Montembo, if there's anyone, anyone who deserves a win, it's him. And that 10 game winless streak is finally over for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it's, it's been a rough time for the Montreal Canadiens. And frankly, since the coaching change, I think we can all agree that the way that they've been losing has been better than before, right? Like they're not getting blown out every game. They're not uh, not competing, to repeat a double negative there. And I mean, frankly, what can we say about Cole friggin' Caulfield? Because playoff Caulfield is better back in the building i don't know what was going on this year the crisis of confidence maybe dom ducharme not using him the way he thought he should be used i don't know i don't have the inside information on that but playing for martin st louis four goals in four games plus one called back that probably should have still been a goal manufacturing the tying goal and the winning goal on this one like this kid he, I said all season long, I'm not worried about him. He's proven me right. I Like, no one should have been worried about him. We talked uh, the last game over that I hosted, which I know, Julian, you've been hosting more than me lately. <laughs> this is like your <laughs> third or fourth episode of, in a row on this show. This is a third in a row, man. Yeah, I, am I supposed to host one on the weekend, too, or, do I, or am I yes, not? Yes, on don't... Sunday, yeah. So I'm going to do like four of these in a row. Yep. Oh, That's my the way God. it's going. And um, I got to give myself a break. <laughs> yeah you're talking about a break i think after the olympics are over i'm just gonna like peace out not do this yeah anymore. just vanish <laughs> just, adam will be like knocking at the door where are you who's no, gonna I, do this <laughs> yeah exactly like, you are adam you're you're a habs fan now just like your dad <laughs> but his dad uh, is a habs fan i, I think anyway, i think sorry. so i think that was like a thing yeah his because his dad is uh has like french canadian liter- uh, lineage i believe and like grew up a Habs fan, but became a Leafs fan. I think that's the story that he told on SDPN back oh, in the day. Now, okay. the whole Cole thing is like, I, I talked about it the last time I hosted, which feels like forever ago. Cause I've been doing so much of the game over international stuff. We did like a over under with the people on the stream chat and uh, Lori Bennett, who was here on 15 goals, the rest of the way. I'm starting to think maybe 20. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I was bringing that up uh, on uh, one of the streams I was on with uh, Max Van Hoot, and he uh, he made a similar tweet saying like, hey, we got to think about the over under with Cole Caulfield. And I'm wondering if he had a point like 
well, I mean, he, he very much had two points, at least tonight. But Cole Caulfield very much uh, looking way more engaged, way more confident out there. You saw him playing late in the third period to get himself that OT goal, being used in OT. He's a different player. He's obviously energized at the thought of playing for a guy he once looked up to and once wore his number uh, a, for a coach who... I know this firsthand as someone who spoke to Martin St. Louis during the playoffs, a guy who knows Caulfield can play just about any era of hockey, or at least he feels that way and knows that he could play at the National Hockey League level. Like it's one thing for a guy like Cole Caulfield to have a different voice kind of energize him. But like the coach that he has right now is a guy who has made it publicly known that he believes in him that he thinks he's a good player. And yes, I understand that happened when Cole Coffey was playing well, but that's still a really big deal. Like you could, anyone could just say like, hey, Cole Caulfield's doing well. It's a totally different situation when a Hall of Famer who has similar skill, who has a similar skill set to him is, is, is out here saying that he's a good player. And again, this was months before uh, we even thought the Canadians would be terrible or Marte St. Louis would take over behind the bench. You you have to look. I I I mean I get that the fact that there's a new voice telling him what to do and and putting him in situations to help obviously makes a difference. But you can't tell me the fact that it's this particular man, this particular person, the resume that he has doesn't make a difference. Like I, it absolutely does. A hundred percent, it does. The the gravitas that Martin St. Louis has is undeniable. And like, did you see the video that went around of Cole Caulfield wearing 26 as a little kid? I was like, yes. wow, he's only grown a foot, but <laughs> he's like seven years That's old. Actually true. <laughs> and I, I say that with love because I'm a short guy too. So no disrespect to Cole Caulfield. I love seeing the short Kings crush it in the NHL, but uh, it, I just, I, this whole dynamic is actually exciting. And I feel like it's the first exciting thing about this Montreal Canadian season. And that is something that I think fans are energized about for those who are just tuning in. I see a question here from Thomas in the stream chat saying, yo, Andrew, can you ask Julian and Chris about Lafreniere in New York? Uh, you reckon they would ever let him go. We will ask Chris that. Absolutely. Chris cannot make it tonight. He started feeling ill last minute. So it's just Julian and I today. We will do a Canadians trade deadline special at some point over the next month here before the trade deadline. If we can't fit it in before trade deadline, that's fine. CJ can bring insider information after the trade deadline about what will happen at the draft. We can do it at any time. We're hoping to do it quick, but CJ's a busy man. We got to fit it in when we can fit it in. We love him here, and I saw a bunch of comments early in the stream talking about the SDPN cinematic universe and the crossovers. Yes, eventually, I don't want to, I can't share too much information, but eventually there will be an SDPN Avengers moment, and it's not going to be that far away. I Doesn't promise this you already kind of count? Sort of? No? I mean, yeah, we're, we're crossing over. This is like, you know strange and spider-man meeting up in a movie right or like uh yeah yeah or like we'll say like at most like civil war or something like that not that we've been on each it. other's shows before you've been on, yeah, of on course. mine with the Montreal gazette with the uh, hockey inside out and uh we have a good rapport or ensemble like it we've we've done the crossover before it's just that we're not cj or exactly. steve yeah that's probably so why there will be some crossovers and i i will say there is uh Steve still has to confirm with me again because he doesn't like being nailed down. But he is he did say that Steve Dangle is going to be on February 23rd with me against the Sabres. So mark that in your calendars that Steve Dangle is going to be coming on Game Over Montreal. And if he bails, uh, we're going to beat him up. (laughs) He's not as busy as CJ. Also, Steve, uh, if you're watching this or if you come across this, on that day, don't eat any hot food. Don't eat any whack food. Don't order from some place that you've never <laughs> eaten before in your life. Uh, make sure there's no salmonella on whatever you're cooking. Make sure that you're good ahead of that day or else you will get beaten up. <laughs> well, when I was watching the game today and I saw CJ on the broadcast, I was like, what is he doing volunteering to come on the show on a day he's actually working this mad man? That's- that's one of my favorite things, honestly, just like watching a Canadians game because uh, I'll watch on the TSN broadcast. Uh, 
for whatever reason, if you have TSN direct, it doesn't mean you could have LDS direct. So I am unfortunately deprived of the wonderful stylings of Pierre Hood, the OG to listen to uh, if you are in Montreal or in Quebec. But uh, Dan Robertson is a more than worthy alternative to listen to. Great guy, great personality, absolutely great at his job. But yeah, like in the intermissions, you'll see like insider trading segments and you'll see CJ like wearing a suit, and like looking all nice. And you're just like, all right, he's he's just working. He's just doing his thing. This man did a podcast with me this morning on his own show. And and he was doing TSN. And we thought we were going to have him here today, but he's not here. But he's a busy man. We get it. It is. He has like three uh, jobs. If you feel sick, you feel sick, right? I'm not going to force CJ to do the show when he's not feeling right. That's It's different. You know, it, it, on TSN, yeah, you got through it. But for a live YouTube show, maybe you go to bed. <laughs> today might have been like his flu game exactly yeah you never know yeah cj pushed through it for for tsn he will push through it for here eventually we're gonna get him on and we love cj and uh, we're, we'll be so happy when we actually bring him on but it'll be another time um big money cj the, he'll be back 100 he'll be back it'll be awesome uh so you, people really latched on to me saying i'm gonna beat dangle up i mean <laughs> I've beat I mean, him up. I've yeah. beat him up with words many, many a time. So, could you? Well, okay, be real here. You've opened the door now. One on one with a fight with Dangle, who wins? I mean, I think I have more fight experience, but it depends whose back <laughs> gives out because we both got bad backs. So it's like, who gets injured first? It's it'd be it's like be like watching two washed men like go at it. <laughs> no, you know the movie. You know the movie Up. Where the two old yes. men start fighting and they both like raise their canes up in the air and they get stuck. <laughs> That's it right there. Y'all gonna need walkers. <laughs> Just the a wheelchair fight. Up bit. <laughs> oh god. Charity boxing match. Uh, you know what the word you know what I would probably lose to Steve because he's got cardio on me. I have just not kept in shape the way Steve has. So oh, that's, that's a shame. That's what would probably good. I mean, ch- charity you know what boxing do, match though? especially. If he's not going to do the charity boxing match, uh, I mean, he, I mean, that's that's probably a good idea. Like, have the money go to sick kids or something. But if that he's not going to do that, I'd have to actually. If he's not going to do that, it. if he's not going to do that, make him do the gauntlet. Oh yes, yes, yes! Hot ones gauntlet for sick kids hospital. Let's get that everyone done. in the comments on, right now. Right in the comments, Steve Dangle, Hot Ones Gauntlet for sick kids i bet you could raise him. a lot of money i bet he i bet we could raise a good amount of money if we got steve dangle to do this tweet it out you know everyone in the comments right now i don't mean to hijack andrew show go in the live chat everyone in the live chat go on twitter go on social media wherever you can tag steve dangle and ask him to uh do the hot ones gauntlet for, for the sick kids foundation and see what he says if we pester him enough Maybe he'll do it. Even I don't. I don't think he's good with hot food. It doesn't matter. It's for these kids. I feel like Jesse could do like odds where like we, people could yes. bet on uh, like how long it takes him to take a sip of milk. Because <laughs> we know Julian and I, the champions, did not take any sips of milk. Yes, sir. We went yes, through sir. the whole thing. Yes, we All did. Right. <laughs> we yes, should probably we talk about the game a little bit. I mean, we, yeah. we touched on San Montembo. Uh, fantastic game tonight i mean matching uh huso who's been arguably the best goaltender in the nhl over the last couple of months here i'm just i'm impressed i don't know what changed with montembo a couple months ago but i know he battled through injury here for a bit when they were really struggling and at the end of ducharme's tenure and he was getting lit up just like primo but man something changed around maybe the new year for montembo and he looks so much more controlled in net for me. Yeah, I, I think he looks like someone who, uh, like I think when he was play, first playing his first few games, the Canadians just getting acclimatized to everything. He looked more like a liability. He looked like more of a goalie who, you know, would have a bad night. And essentially his goaltending could play a role in why the team would lose games. But as of recently, I don't think that's the case. You could make an argument that maybe uh, the addition of Andrew Hammond would make some kind of change because right now, like psychologically. Mike, yeah. Like, you know, like Michael, Michael McNeven is one less goalie off of IR right now. He's down in Laval. Uh, Jake Allen, who knows when he'll be back, but maybe he'll be back. He, it seems as if he'll be back sooner 
to the lineup than Carey Price will. But who knows what that happens. If they get those two back, obviously those two will be the tandem. But if you're Sam Montembeau right now and one of those goalies comes back, like at first we were thinking, okay, Montembeau would easily be the battery mate. But the Canadians have Andrew Hammond now who, you know, you put him in net. You're not going to mind if he's going to get shelled a couple times a night because the Canadians are not in the interest of winning. But in the interest of trying to hold down an NHL job, Sam Montembeau, it's in his best interest to play his best hockey. I mean, we almost saw him do it like almost instantaneously when when Hammond was acquired over the weekend, I believe on the Saturday. He had that outstanding game against the Columbus Blue Jackets where he made 40 saves. Uh, Not as good the uh, following night against the Buffalo Sabres. But uh, Sam Montembeau has looked good. He's he's looked like a fine goalie as, as much as you can. And we also understand, obviously, the context of the, of the season as it is. They have not won many games. But you can't say, especially since Martin St. Louis took over, that Sam Montembeau is the reason why the Canadians lost those games, those first few games of, of St. Louis' tenure. And he definitely did his part to keep his team in it tonight. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at here, somebody pointed out Suzuki played 24-44 tonight. I feel like he played a ton last game as well. Uh, clearly, St. Louis is not afraid to lean on Nick Suzuki, and he shouldn't be. I mean, Suzuki has proven that he could play those minutes. It's just a lot to ask from a player. But he doesn't really have much down the center line right now with Dvorak out of the lineup, <laughs> right? Like, there's not much of a choice. I I am liking one thing about St. Louis, aside from like having them play competitively and clearly they're motivated, it seems like he is leaning on the players who have a future, right? And that, like, he's not trying to balance lines and roll four lines. He's trying to put things together that work and get them some confidence right now. And that's something that I was waiting for Ducharme to do all season long, like, the idea of sticking Anderson with uh, Caulfield and Suzuki tonight, trying to get like Anderson's speed to kind of open up the ice for those guys. Interesting idea. I don't know if it'll work long-term, but it's interesting. It's three guys who will probably be here next year. Cause you probably can't trade Anderson, even if you wanted to with that contract. So that I like to see, but uh, I'm looking at this and I saw a couple comments here, ragging on Jeff Petrie a little bit. I just want to say, Yes, Jeff Petrie took a third period penalty. I know he took a penalty against Columbus as well. I know that the one against Columbus was pretty soft. I thought the one in this game was a little bit soft too. The fact is, since the coaching change, Jeff Petrie's underlying numbers have been spectacular. He also set up the game-winning goal to assist tonight, I believe. Like, I don't know, Jeff Petrie is kind of looking like he's back a little bit to me. And he's always taken bad penalties, like even at his peak. So, I don't know. I'm liking Jeff Jeff Petrie Petrie lately. I'll say this. like Another thing he did as well, he scored against the Buffalo Sabres on Sunday. Uh, In fact, that game on Sunday, I know it ended up being the big Jeff Skinner game and they won 5-3, but Jeff Petrie scored that game. Yol Armia scored that game. And Mike Hoffman scored that game. The Canadians got contributions from... Yes, they got guys. They got contributions from guys who absolutely need to contribute offensively. And Jeff Petrie being in that position... I think that, that that does well for his confidence. Yes, he took those penalties uh, tonight and as well uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets. That, ended, that first, that last one against the Jackets ended up being a lot more devastating than the one he took tonight. And he's got to limit that. But he's at least showing some good. And that's another guy who I think he's stepped up in the last few games. And it seems as if he's liking what he's learning from Martin St. Louis and the, and the rest of the coaching staff now. So that's another guy who... Uh, it doesn't seem as if him and, and Dominic Ducharme were the best of friends, but then again, who could really be the best of friends as a player with a coach? But uh, yeah, it looks as if he's looked okay uh, under the St. Louis regime. Yeah, and I think one thing we have to keep in mind, and like I said, similar when I was on with Laurie last week with the whole Ducharme thing, and I think it's really easy to rag on him, and obviously him and Petrie didn't see eye to eye this season, but there's a lot of opportunities to not see eye to eye with people when you're losing all the time, right? Very like, true. Anytime a team loses anywhere close to the way that the Canadians have been losing this season, you hear talk about like locker room upset and like people who are getting on each other's nerves and like, yeah, when nothing is going right for you, 
little things that you might have overlooked while you were winning start to piss you off. <laughs> like you think back to the last time the Canadians kind of bottomed out uh, before they traded the uh, PK Subban and Laura Zeller in the off season in 2016. Yeah. 2016. Yes. 2016. Uh, yes. You heard for the first time about friction in that locker room. Whereas like the year before that, where they were a top end team, you heard about, Oh, this is the tightest locker room that Montreal has seen in years. And then all of a sudden, Oh yeah. PK and Pacioretty are at each other's throats. And they kind of tried to, rebut those rumors but it didn't work uh things like that happen when there's a lot of losses so i would assume that a year removed from right now petrie would probably speak about dom ducharme a little bit more softly than he would off the record right now and I, I think Dom Ducharme is going to coach in this league again. I know people are really down on him. Really? That's I think so. Yeah. I, I look at the, the hand that he was dealt this year and yes, he did not do much to fix it, but we got to remember this is his first head coaching gig in the national hockey league. He's going from an assistant coach to a head coach, which frankly is a hard transition because you go from being buddies with the players to being the authority figure. Right. And he has a great track record. I know part of it in junior comes on a very dominant stacked Halifax team. And, you know, team Canada is also dominant and stacked, but he got it done. Right. And I don't know. I think that he's a relatively smart guy. The big thing that was his downfall is his stubbornness, right? Cause there was reports mm -hmm. that came out that players came to him early in the season and said like, what we're doing is not working. And he was like, yeah, okay. I'll listen to you. Uh, I'm doing my own thing which is a coach's prerogative. He's the boss, right? But when things aren't working and they continue to not work for a very long time, maybe you got to switch things up a little bit. And we've maybe. seen that now that a couple of switch ups, very mild switch ups from Martin St. Louis. There's only so much you can do in season. I've had like, they paid big dividends. Just look at how they're playing defensively. This, the change up from a zone defense to more of a man on man has changed the way that the Canadians defend in their own zone significantly, and they're getting much better results. Absolutely. And it makes people like Sam Montembeau look a little bit better in net. I wanted to float something uh, that I mentioned, I think, on a bonus episode that's going to come up on Hockey Inside Out, and I want to know your thoughts on it. I think uh, Dominic Ducharme will return as a coach, as an assistant coach, with the Arizona Coyotes if Andre Tourigny keeps his job. I see, I see the fit. I see the fit. I don't know if it'll be for next year at this point. Maybe Dominic Ducharme chills with uh, the what the one point seven million he's supposed to be making this year. Maybe he says, you know what, let's try something new in Arizona, and and you know, yep, your bearings up with the Arizona Coyotes and coach those guys up in your thirty two hundred seat arena at ASU. However, that's gonna work. God, that's, all right, it's embarrassing. Eddie, it's a tangent I'm, for a I'm, different day, but. Different day, different podcast. Yeah. But yeah, maybe that works. I can't think of, I'm trying to think of some other benches that would work. But the only way back for Ducharme, I think he has to get his, he has to be a, an assistant coach somewhere in the National Hockey League. But I think there are some spots. Arizona is the first one that comes to mind because Andre Tourney looks as if he at least has some familiarity with uh, Ducharme. I think he was interviewed about, about Ducharme uh, in a Journal de Montréal article before those two teams were supposed to play against each other earlier in the season. Uh, so I could see him saying, hey, you know, we could use your experience, come behind the bench. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back in that role. It would surprise me way more if some team like the Flyers, for example, were like, all right, dude, come coach this team. Yeah, I, I could see it happening. I I think just based on my non-insider opinion, it doesn't seem like uh, Ducharme has the kind of ego where he would not ever be an assistant coach now that he's been a head coach. You know what I mean? Like, right. he doesn't seem like that kind of person. He would go where the fit makes sense. And I, I don't know if he'd do that while he's still making, like while he stands to give up $1.7 million because assistant coaches don't make that. But eventually, I could see that happening if he's not happy sitting around doing like pro scouting for the Canadians while not doing coaching. A uh, couple comments here. Um, Marco Dror says, hey, what do you guys think about the rumor of Sherratt and Lekkinen for a second and a third and Kravtsov and Nils Lundqvist? Personally, I feel like wait, we're getting wait, robbed wait. if it goes through. Wait, 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 wait. 
I just want to say something. If it's from where I think it is, there was a guy who made that tweet yesterday and it was just like some dude tweeting it and it ended up turning into a whole rumor. I heard some some journalist who I'm not going to name would say like, yeah, that's the package I heard. And I was like, wow, like that sounds pretty extravagant. And then I saw that tweet and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not legit. So maybe there's some deal out there, but maybe it isn't. I think Patrick Nemeth was part of that package and Patrick Nemeth is on the IR now for COVID complications. So I don't know, but let's, let's be mindful. It's silly season. So a lot of people are going to come up with these bum accounts and try to pass off as insiders. Uh, You know, I don't pretend to be an expert. I, uh, Berkshire, I mean, we're very uh, humble about what we know and what we don't know. Right. I I always try to be very, you don't pretend to be an expert. No, no, no. I I don't pretend to be an insider. If I know something, I'll say, I know something. And if I am speculating or just firing my own thoughts out there, I'll be very clear about that as well. Usually the reason why I do the podcast with CJ, because I don't know as much as I want to know. And I want to know more stuff, but now you got a pipeline, right? You got a, a nice pipeline. Here, here's a question for CJ when, when you next talk to him. Every trade yes. deadline, we see fake Dragger, fake LeBron. Is this the first deadline we see fake CJ accounts? Yeah. I don't think I've I seen think one before. I've never seen a fake CJ account. And there's a part of me that thinks the fact that we even mentioned it now, someone is going to do it. <laughs> this this SDPN is SDPN. Yeah. It's going to be SDPN all over memes. the SDPN Discord. Everybody fake oh. CJ accounts. Oh, what have we done? Every like third tweet's gonna be like, I like pickles or some shit, or like I'm the juggernaut bitch or something. I don't know, man. We just create a monster. Oh no. Oh no. Awful. All right. Uh I, I didn't take notes really for this game because I was planning on doing a bunch of trade questions with CJ. So we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. But I was let's... writing the whole time. <laughs> so well, I hope it's like okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's is what we can do. Let's talk about something that really stuck out. Both of us talked about it uh, in our little DM chat during the game. In the last uh, couple minutes there, I guess the last minute of the game, with the net empty, Brendan Gallagher, my God, this guy only knows how to play one way. Dives face first, knocks the puck that's going into the net just wide, crashes into the post. That saved the game, man. Like, Brandon Gallagher, how can you not respect him? That's a hustle play. That is just Brandon Gallagher. That's the best play he's done all year. This is a guy arguably not even arguably. That is the best play he's done all year. I'm going to put that up against any other goal he scored or any other big move. That is the best play he's done all year. Brandon Gallagher has labored through much of this season wincing and like pregame skates and just trying to play through injury eventually takes time off. Then he returns. He looks healthy. He looks energized. And the fact that he's able to do stuff like that, that is the Brendan Gallagher of old that a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans are used to. And the fact that he was able to do that and it turned into a game tying goal later in the, later in the period and eventually the OT winner. I mean, you got to remember that play Cole Caulfield deserves all the praise for those two goals, but that late save, from Brendan Gallagher. That might have been the save of the night. Absolutely. And I feel like it energized the bench too. The the fact that he would make that sacrifice and that he cared that much, right? Like he was showing, "Listen, we're not giving up on this game." And I I, I didn't think they were going to tie it because the Blues are pretty good defensively and like Huso's amazing, right? So the fact that they actually got that and the cross crease pass to to Cole, he found the the empty net there and then in overtime that the overtime reminded me of last season when they were just kind of limping into the playoffs and they were terrible in overtime all season long, just like they've been this year. I think going into this game, they were 0-7 in overtime or something like that. They were bad. Yeah, very bad. So my thoughts going into the overtime or like watching that overtime was that it reminded me of those last few games of the year where they had that trio of Suzuki, Petrie, and Caulfield that just consistently found ways to win games. And it was, I think it was always Caulfield who was scoring the winning goal. He had like three overtime goals in the last couple games of the season there. Yeah. It just brought a little bit of that magic back. Right. And that was the one thing heading into that playoffs that was giving people some positive ideas about that series against Toronto. It was like, look at these guys, this, 
these guys are going to kill it, right? And then they scratched coffee right off the bat. The first two games of the playoffs. Oh, God. They, like, like, uh, here's the thing. Dominic Ducharme, I hate to make this back about Dominic Ducharme. A lot went bad for him. The, the whole COVID thing, uh, just the compressed schedule, uh, just being named head coach partway through the season and basically using his morning skates to kind of implement his system all the players that were lost to free agency and injury in the offseason leading to the team that we have now. Dominic Ducharme, it cannot be uh, it cannot be forgotten. He was dealt a bad hand uh, due to circumstances. But with the hand that he was dealt, he did not always play it well. No, I think no. the fact that he scratched both Jesperi Kakanyemi and Cole Caulfield to start off the postseason, that is still a big strike against him. 100%. And the fact that the Canes were able to I mean, they did go to the Stanley Cup final, but like maybe they could have been in a better situation if Cole Caulfield was not scratched because he turned himself into a star in the playoffs with the contributions he was able to do. And for a guy who has the skill set that he has, which is to score goals, like the Canadians fans have been starving for that for over a decade. Like you, you cannot, you can't like, you can't mess with that. The Canadian, this, this, he's the most important prospect to this franchise in quite some time, and you cannot mess with his development. So, not to bring up some more shade at Dominic Ducharme here, but man, like he just with the way that he kind of handled things, it's, it's. There's a reason why he's gone. Yeah, he earned a little bit of that shade, right? Like he did. I don't think he, his career is over, like we said, but he's got some things to learn. And I think not trusting young players is one of those things outside of Suzuki who everyone trusts because he's like defense first master guy. Uh, so a couple questions here in the stream chat. Somebody was asking, Oh, Robert was saying uh, Gallagher deserves the C and other people are saying, oh, I wouldn't give him the C cause he's too emotional. I lean towards also not having Gallagher as the captain. I feel like you can be the heartbeat of a team and not be the captain. Uh, I think his relationship with officials is not very good. And there, there's certain things that you want from captains that Gallagher doesn't bring, but like having an A makes sense. I think he's had an A for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, L Eon or Leon. I don't know how you pr- want that pronounced buddy, but uh, he says Gallagher is the adrenal gland of the team. That is accurate. He's, he's a hundred. The adrenal gland of the team. So creates the adrenaline. Okay. Right, right. I so he gets some pumped, right? So that makes sense yeah. to me. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, who would win a Marty St. Louis versus Jeff Desharm custody of Cole Caulfield ladder match? I mean, <laughs> Dom, Dom's got the height, but I think uh, I think Marty wins that because Cole would be hugged onto him like a koala. Can I add something with Brendan Gallagher here? Like, I think before uh, this week. My thinking of Brendan Gallagher wearing the C would be th- would be like, I guess that would make sense because of the fact that uh, he is this undersized guy who manages to uh, play through adversity. And I got the sense, I guess they'll get that sense that players still like playing around him and, and he does kind of pump everyone up. But hearing Martin St. Louis in the limited amount of time he was around the team make it seem as if Tyler Toffoli was the captain without wearing the C. And he even reiterated that uh, during a one-on-one interview with John Liu that was heard during the TSN broadcast. That really kind of changed my mind a little bit about Brendan Gallagher wearing the C. Maybe just him as an assistant captain makes just, just makes more sense. And it really made me realize, or maybe really made me think that, you know, just because, you have all these challenges that have come up against you and you found yourself in the locker room and you're able to play in the NHL. It doesn't necessarily mean you should be, you should be captain, right? Like Josh, people like Josh George's and what he means to a hockey team. Does that mean he should be a captain everywhere he goes? Maybe, maybe not. Paul Byron uh, has some of the same similar qualities, played his 500th career NHL game, scored at his 500th NHL game tonight. Probably just a good A. And and Brennan Gallagher, funny enough, at intermission as well, described him as a great role model for other guys. If they find themselves feeling sorry, they could look at a guy like Paul Byron. That's not necessarily a guy who necessarily needs to be a captain. And he, and he seems to fit in his role just fine. A lot of people like him for what he's doing. So 
I don't know who the next captain of this team is. Maybe it could be Nick Suzuki. Maybe you you slap it on him for next season as a as a just as a sign to show that he is the guy who's going to lead the core going forward to prominence. But I guess I'm not as high on on Brennan Gallagher as captain for this team anymore. And and Martin St. Louis' assessment of of Tyler Toffoli kind of changed my mind on that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I'm, I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to talk about the Toffoli trade. I guess, did you get a chance to on Sunday? I don't remember if it happened before or after the game. Um, Yeah, I didn't. Well, I, I don't remember if I talked about him that much. Uh, Well, I mean, it, it happened like after Sunday, so it wouldn't have been right. traded yet. So well, let's um, talk, let's talk about that trade because yeah. I was on team keep to Foley uh, just because the way that Hughes and Gordon had talked is that they didn't want to do a deep rebuild, but based on the fact that they have traded to Foley, I think the writing's on the wall that they are going to do a bit of a deeper rebuild. And this is not going to be a trying to be competitive two years from now situation. I think that they want to be like not trying to lose like basically playing how they are right now, right? Where they, they're playing with passion and they want to to win games, but they're also not going to put the best roster out there because you just you just don't trade a guy like Tyler Toffoli if you want to win in the short term. And his contract is so, so good. I still think, I got a lot of pushback on Twitter for saying it, that uh, the, the return to me was a little bit underwhelming just because uh, Emil Heineman is like a B-level prospect, not an A-level prospect, and just the combination of the term left on Toffoli's contract, which essentially gives the Flames three potential cup runs with him, his contract, like how much it pays, is ludicrous. The fact that he's been a first-line player for six of the last seven years, I don't know. I think that they could have got a little bit more if they'd waited maybe, but at the same time, First round picks, not a bad thing. Know, Decent prospect yeah, like who can it. score goals isn't a bad thing. The other two pieces I were just throw-ins to me. I mean, Tyler Pitlick is a warm body. And a fifth round in 2024, that's either a trade piece or something for 10 years from now. That's very true. I don't know. I thought the deal was fair. I, I understand he's played top-line minutes in Montreal and, and for other markets that he's been in. Uh, we saw him with the Flames. He's a, he's a third-line guy to them. He's a guy who's going to contribute to his second line. secondary sorry. Sorry, second line, but he's still a secondary scorer. Like they're not going to rely on him the same way that they're going to rely on Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary. But yes, he is still a good scorer and he is on a good contract. But the Kane's got a first round pick for him. And the teams that were going to go for a guy like Tyler Toffoli were going to be late in the first round in terms of the first round picks they would give up for a guy like him anyway. Uh, Emil Heineman, you could argue it's more or less like getting a second round pick back. He was drafted in the second round. He was involved in that Sam Bennett trade that sent him from Florida to Calgary. Now he finds himself in a Canadian, well, in the Canadians organization. Uh, I'm not going to get lost into what the player comparisons are because I have not watched him play. But the fact that they have a, another prospect in their system, I think that's good for them going forward. The Canadians should be in the business of getting prospects in their stable and seeing what they can get for them in their core going forward. Not to mention the fifth round pick and another warm body that at the end of the day, as they're going to lug through these games where they're not going to win all that much, they need warm bodies on this team who are just going to kind of help them go through the motions and go from games 80 game one to game 82 uh, in their seasons going forward. I thought the trade was fair, but I I will say that um, with what he meant to the team in such a short time, uh, I there was a part of me that thought it'd be, it would be cool for this core if he got, if Tyler Toffoli got to stick through it. Uh, I think he, he he had that quote with Cole Caulfield where he was, he was saying he was, he was telling Cole oh, Caulfield. Man, that was sad. <laughs> yeah, that was, that kind of gave me like Iron Man, Spider-Man vibes yes. in, in Infinity yes. War. He's like, don't go. <laughs> like, yeah, like that's that's how I felt about that. Reading that, that, that got vibes like that. But Tyler Toffoli, in the short time he's been there for this Montreal Canadiens team, uh, an impactful player, I believe, led them in goals last year. Scored the OT series winner against the Winnipeg Jets in the second round in a short amount of time. Meant a lot to the Montreal Canadiens. Meant a lot to the Canadiens fans as well. Uh, just goes to show, uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to play three hundred games or. You could be a hundred games. You could make an impact for your team if you do some good things. And Tyler Toffoli seemed like he did. Yeah, and like it was pointed out on social media yesterday, I think that uh, if you ignore the little stop in Vancouver, Tyler Toffoli has followed the exact same 
career arc as Mike Camilleri. Start in L.A., go to Montreal, bomber playoff, get traded to Calgary. Although not in the middle of a game, so he's got that going yeah. for him, which is nice. Yeah. Hopefully a little Maybe. bit better of a return <laughs> overall for, for Toffoli than they got for Camilleri. But yeah, I think the, the main thing that's going to be interesting to look at by the time we get to the draft is going to be less about what the Canadians got for each specific player that they move out. It's going to be what are the total accumulated assets? And I think that's where we're going to look back and say there's a potential for creating the next core of the team because they're going to get a first round pick for Ben Chirot. Like that's insiders yeah. been saying that all year long. seems like that talk's only been heating up. The only way they don't get a first round pick for Sherratt is if they get a really high end prospect or like NHL ready player, which I've been Toby teasing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that name out there. I keep on teasing Steve. I, I just say uh, Rasmus Sandin, just a, a little lightly used Rasmus Sandin for Ben Sherratt. Yo, have you seen the tweets about uh, the podcast today, the CJ show? A few people were like, go, like, I think even Dom LeShizid was all like, man, the Leafs have not learned from acquiring Nick Felito. A lot of people kind of lost their minds at the idea that uh, not only are the Leafs interested, uh, they might be very interested in Ben Chirot. That was a really interesting thing to hear. And I kind of had to ask CJ, like, so, so what you're saying right now is there's a growing sense that he, that the Leafs are a front runner. He kind of had to like check himself a little bit, like, okay, like, uh, like to be a little bit more clear, the Leafs are very interested, but I, there seems as if a lot of fans in, in Toronto are are not happy about the prospect of getting Ben Chirot. I, I mean, if I was a Leafs fan, I would also not be very happy, especially considering the it. price tag. But a, a Dill Pickle here asks, uh, "Do you think that's just Chirot's people pumping his tires?" I don't think so because I don't think there's a lot of benefit to that. I think. If anything, if the stuff coming about out about the Leafs is not necessarily leaking from the Leafs, I think it's probably other teams putting the Leafs out there to like make the spotlight on the Leafs, right? So like they can get something done or like look at another player because the Leafs absorb a lot of the spotlight. Let's be honest; it, it might not all be coming from the Maple Leafs. We'll have to wait on uh, CJ's comment from that, but Sherratt's going to get a big return. I feel like Florida has consistently been linked to him all season long, right? St. Louis like that. is linked to Sherrod as well. Yeah, I mean, they didn't get to see him tonight, unfortunately, because he's out on the IR, but apparently that's a, a minor thing. I wonder mm. if Sherrod plays another game for the Canadians. I'm going to guess no. Yep, I, 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 we were talking about this. Like, if I'm Kent Hughes, I mean, I get you don't want to rush into these trades and you have to, you should make the right move when it's there. But seeing how Ben Chirot will play some games sometimes, will make some boneheaded plays or take penalties, commit a turnover, an unforced error. Like if I was Kent Hughes, there's a part of me that's like, I don't really want him to decrease his trade value any yep. more than he might have. I'm sorry. There are some games I'm looking at it and I'm like, if you're a scout coming to the Canadians to watch him play, at what point do you say the trade mark, the, the, the asking price has to go down for Ben Chirot. I think he has some good upside. I think he has some great qualities to him. He's a big body who can skate uh, for, for the grinding style. You need to win in the playoffs. He can clear guys out of the net. I get that. And he has some offensive capabilities. I get that, but he's done quite a few mistakes even before uh, this, this terrible season for the Montreal Canadiens came to be. And I, and I was a bit surprised to hear that he was like, he, there, there are teams that are, well, I mean, the asking price seems to be whatever David Savard uh, got in the trade that sent him to Tampa Bay last year. But there are teams that are interested. There are people saying they're like up to like 12 teams might be in on Ben Sherrod. Is that, is that an agent saying that? I don't know, but like, yeah, Ben Sherrod really like not like he has like nine points through so many games and he might get a first round pick. Like, Man, whoever, but remember, he's a UFA, and the Canadians also are, are apparently willing to retain salary on him as well. So, hey, if it doesn't work out, you're a competitive team. You think he's that piece that's going to get you over the top. And if he doesn't work out, you could just kind of part ways with him. And if you're a contending team, again, like I read it, like I said earlier, that first-round pick was probably late in that round anyway. So it's not as if you're giving up on the opportunity to get Shane Wright. You're just missing out on on maybe pick 27 or 28 in the draft. So there are worse things than giving up a late first round pick for Ben Sherrod, especially if you feel he can contribute to your team. But still, a first round pick for Ben Sherrod, like, man, like it's 
it's pretty interesting to see how that asking price has gotten to that point plus a third or whatever else was in that deal it is hard to believe because frankly like as much as i was bugging dom this morning i was saying like stop talking about ben sherrod's stats wait till after the trade deadline (laughs) i feel like so many people have been doing that (laughs) but like the numbers have been out there for ben sherrod for a long like his whole career like frankly there's a reason why when Dom posted his profile today, or it wasn't Dom, it was might have been Dom and it might have been Jay Fresh as well. Yeah. And it was like war percentile zero. <laughs> like, Dom wrote like, about him in 16 stats today. I know yeah. that for sure. Yeah, it, he wrote about him today. So maybe both of them. He's not a very good impact player in terms of goals for and goals against, but people love his physicality in the playoffs. That's what they're looking for. Uh someone says here. Let me get a GoFundMe to buy out Petrie's contract. Man, I I got to tell you, folks, you buy are out. heavily underestimating how valued Jeff Petrie is around the league. I know he's had a rough year, and people are frustrated, and I think you can say very fairly that he's sulked a little bit during the year and maybe not put in the effort that he should have in certain points. But, like, these people are always are also, sorry, humans right he's been separated from his family almost the entire year they've been in detroit he's been in montreal traveling around with the team that takes a toll on a person it's been a rough couple years for all of us and yes he's making lots of money but that doesn't make his family magically appear at his doorstep this season and it doesn't take the pain away of going out there and losing every game and feeling like you're everything you touch turns to garbage right so I look at Jeff Petrie, the underlying numbers are still really, really strong. Even while he was really struggling, they were relatively strong as long as you controlled for what kinds of minutes he was playing. He's not making that much money, man. For a first pair defenseman, 6.25 is not that much. The term is not that bad at three years. Like, yeah, he's getting up there in age. That makes it a little bit more difficult, but... Everything that I read around the league or hear around the league is that if the Montreal Canadiens try to trade Jeff Petrie, it's not going to have to be at a discount. They're going to get decent value for him. The only thing that's going to be a hiccup is finding a team that can take on the term. And if that means that he doesn't go to a contender this year, that's fine. They might not get like a first round pick per se, but they might get uh, prospects or a package of some sort of maybe a slightly younger defenseman who knows, but I don't think the Jeff Petrie trade is going to be that difficult for Kent Hughes to make. And I don't think the return is going to be underwhelming either. Yeah. Uh, It's also cool to hear Kent Hughes just kind of along the same vein as how he kind of discussed Ben Sherrod earlier this week, that he's not afraid to make that trade. If the right deal is out there Uh, and he's not going to necessarily force a bad move. And that applies to Jeff Petrie. Absolutely. I also got bored and I went on cap friendly and I used the, uh, the buyout calendar, uh, calculator thing. And, uh, I think if the Canadians were to even do that with Jeff Petrie, not saying they should do that. I think it would be a really dumb idea for them to do Uh, a cap hit of a 3,083,333 for the next two seasons that rises to 4.5 mil the year after and then for the last three years of uh up until 2028 he would count for 1.33 million uh as a yeah, cap not, hit so not I, smart <laughs> I, I don't know if that's i don't know if that's worth it, especially if the cap is gonna rise like minimally again not something that should be taken seriously someone just asked the question i just wanted to just see for myself yeah greg bayer says petrie had a 46 percent expected goals for percentage with ducharme and has a 55.7 percent expected goals for under st louis yeah and he also led the team tonight i think it's the second or third game in a row he led the team in expected goals for percentage so like he's doing his job uh i think petrie's fine if he ends up getting traded that's fine because they got to rebuild but i don't think it's necessarily something that has to happen this year unless he really wants it. And it seems like he's like Hughes keeps on saying he's open to it, but hasn't requested a trade. So I, I don't think this is a situation where they're up against it. Right. And this is something that I wanted to ask CJ about. Like I kind of built a game and I was like, going to go through the Habs roster. And I was like, if this player is going to move, is it going to be like deadline draft or next deadline? Because one of the few advantages that Hughes and company have with all these players locked into term 
is that they don't actually have a rush to trade them, right? Outside of Sherratt, like, these guys, if they just stay around the next season, the team's going to be bad. They don't need to trade them right now. So they can wait for a more opportune time if teams have more space in the summer or there's a spot next deadline. There it goes. You know, it's not a big deal. So, yeah, yeah someone said, uh, Thomas says, kind of fucks your reputation to ask for a trade. I don't think that's true. Uh, there are certain no. people in the NHL who feel that way. I know Brian Burke as a manager felt that way. Uh, there's a story out there about, you remember Peter Zezel or is that before your time, Julian? A little bit before my time, but yeah. I remember the name. He was a, he was a good player, and there, he's like at the end of his career, he wanted to be like nearer to his family. I believe one of his parents had cancer, and he asked for a trade from Brian Burke, and Burke literally sent him to the team furthest away from where his parents lived, out of like pure spite, because he's like, I don't want to be asked for a trade from a player. That's like disloyalty, and it's like, that old school attitude is. Uh, I don't think as many modern managers feel that way. I think that if, a, if a player wants a different situation, like even I found, I found Mark Bergevin when he was here, when players asked him for a trade, he was pretty respectful to accommodate them. Right. So, yeah. and Bergevin is a pretty old school guy. So I think modern managers view it much differently than I think most of us do. What do you think Jack Eichel, what's the reputation around Jack Eichel now? And I understand his circumstances were a little bit different, but like, I mean, the fact that he's back in the league already says uh, Jack Eichel was right. He should he should have let him get that surgery, right? Should have like, let him get that surgery. I get that Buffalo need to rebuild is rebuild, but like, I, I if I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan, sorry, Dwayne, but like, jeez, like I, it's, I feel you're going to be in for some painful times. I know the first game against Colorado didn't look all that great, but like, I think Jack Eichel is going to fit just fine in Vegas. Yeah, uh, I don't know what this person's talking about here. The ref says, I just don't think Caulfield has much of a future in the league. He's going to be a good player, no doubt. But I see him more as a Hoffman than a St. Louis. I mean, I don't think he's going to be Martin St. Louis, but I think it's very clear that he plays with much more dynamic uh, skill than Mike Hoffman. Like, Mike Hoffman does one thing, right? Yeah. And he does it very well. He's a spectacular shooter from a distance, but Cole Caulfield brings a lot more than that. Cole uh, Caulfield, there was a play earlier in the game. Uh, I believe it was Cole Caulfield who kept the puck from exiting the uh, the offensive zone. He, he he took a puck off a player who was trying to exit the zone for the Blues and helped create a chance with, with Nick Suzuki. I don't think Mike Hoffman does that. He does not have that in his game. I think an underrated part of Cole Caulfield's game, he will dig for pucks and he will make plays. Mike Hoffman's not a playmaker. He's a hired no. gun to score. Cole Caulfield has skills to, to be a playmaker. Yeah. I, I see Cole Caulfield has like game breaker potential, not as like a superstar, but he can break open games. And we saw that tonight. Uh, Mike Hoffman is a guy who is a complimentary player who can score a ton because his shot is absolutely sick. Uh, someone is saying, uh, do you think Montreal goes after Nazem Kadri in the offseason? I, I've seen this a lot. I know Dangle floated it on the STP, but I don't see why Kadri would do that. I know that the Canadians were his team growing up and they could be one of the teams that could afford to give him an absolute pile of money. But even if he wins the cup this year with Colorado, I would assume that he doesn't want to go into a rebuild and there's going to be teams lining up to pay him. Like I just, I don't see the fit for him. I'd but love how many of those contending here, but... teams have the money to do that? And I, that's why I think I, we have to, we're going to have to figure out what his priorities truly are. Because remember, like Nazem Kadri, not getting any younger. It's not a guy at 27 looking for that big payday from somebody. He's, he's in his early 30s, maybe trying to bank on some team saying, hey, you know what? Like, we're willing to give you all this money for what you're doing this year, which is well above what he's done. In his career to this point, I actually, I mean, I, I think if the Canadians got him, it probably goes against actually, you know what? I think of it in the same vein as Dougie Hamilton, when he joined the New Jersey devils, a guy who you sign uh, basically just to be like, Hey, you know what? We have this big fancy piece that in about two, three years, when we actually get better, he's really going to look good on our team. Nazem Kadri in this case, he'll be a little bit older if the Canadians were to even do that, but at least your center depth with, Kadri and Suzuki is pretty settled and 
even if he ends up going further down in the depth chart, like he should still be a solid center to have, provided he doesn't get himself suspended for some dumb reason. <laughs> Which is not an unknown for him. <laughs> he he no. does do that. I, I don't know. I, but I but in like, spite of that, he's a good player. Yeah, like, he's I know great. That stuff that's happened. He's a good player. And I feel like Nas is one of the few guys that you would be able to bring into a situation like Montreal and not have to worry about him being a head case because of the pressure, right? He's already played in Toronto. There's pressure in Colorado to win right now. I think that he would be able to come here and not be stressed out about it. I think he'd thrive in that situation, but at his age and just what he's going to command, I feel like it's one of those situations like by the time the Canadians are going to be a competitive team at the cap number, they would have to sign him at it would turn into him being a good player, but still a bad contract at the wrong time. So I, I just don't see the fit there, but I do love Nas. If the Canadians sign Nazim Kadri, I would not be that upset. I would love seeing him play every night. Uh, He's, he's a great player and also a cool shit disturber and everyone loves their own shit disturbers. Right. Uh, One thing I did want to mention, because I didn't get a chance to talk about it when the fully trade happened was we talked a bit about like the differences in management styles and Julian, you mentioned that uh, Hughes has been very open about like the idea of like when Sherratt might be traded and the idea of moving Jeff Petrie. One thing that really stuck out to me in his little press conference about the Toffoli trade was that he spent a day essentially reaching out to Emil Heineman and making sure that he knew that he was a requested part of the trade and not just like a courtesy throw in along with the first round pick, because that's something that I think Bergevin really struggled with was connecting with young players and making them feel valued. And you also saw that come through with, uh, Sorry, with uh, Kent Hughes reaching out to Harris in the NCAA, who now believes that he's going to sign here, which Mark Bergevin didn't talk to Harris for over a year or something like that. I believe it was reported when uh, he talked to Marc-Antoine Godin at the beginning of the season. And he was like, well, if he doesn't want to sign here, what can we do? I love the proactive approach that Kent Hughes is approaching things like an agent more than a GM. He's talking to players <laughs> on their level and his approach is just different, right? You can see it very clearly just based on the reactions of players. I think that's going to be really beneficial to the Montreal Canadiens going forward. It looks like it could. I, I thought what he did with Heinemann was was a pretty cool thing to do. Uh, it just also just goes to show that the Canadians actually value him as a prospect in this organization. And again, the Canadians are in a position right now where they need to accumulate as many of those as they can going forward to make their team better. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool to hear that. Uh, I can't really speak to how uh, Bergevin would deal with those players in the past, but the fact that the Jordan Harris portfolio, there was a lot of concern around it. I know Harris wanted to stay at school because he values his education and he wanted to get himself his degree which I think was in like, was it business administration? It was some kind of business finance degree. I'm sorry, I don't remember it specifically, but Jordan Harris wanted to stay in school. It also just helps for Kent Hughes that he has that relationship with Jordan Harris because of the, uh, what, like his son plays at the same university. Uh, There's the connections that are obviously there, but I, I think the fact that Kent was able to make that connection, was able to say that he felt confident that he would sign here at the end of the year, that is a very positive development in the Jordan Harris uh, dossier for the Montreal Canadiens. That's a young player that they need around their organization for years to come, especially when it comes to their defense. So, yeah, that was also a very big surprise to hear during that press conference between Toffoli, the talk about Sharap, the talk about Petrie, Jordan Harris. He kind of mentioned Carey Price and said that he, he believes he could try to come back this year. I'm not. Sh- I think that was like the only thing he said that was a little bit shaky to me. I'm. I. I, ha- I kind of have to see it to believe it. Maybe he does come back. Uh, it would be a big story, obviously. But uh, I think everything else was really interesting to to hear him speak openly about. Yeah. Yeah. I. I the whole Carey Price situation is so unfortunate. You know, like I, I. I hope we get to see him play this season, just because I'd like to know that he is, is healthy enough to do it. You know what I mean? Like, his knee's not falling apart. I, I do wonder if he doesn't play this year, if he does opt for retirement in the offseason. It would be such an unfortunate end for, for Price. I feel like he deserves better. Um, 
what else did, did we you have see here? did you see uh lds before the game today say that uh, the canadians have started looking into Ilya samsonov in washington i did see that i did see that because i saw uh not renee from black uh black girl hockey club uh saucy rockets was saying nick suzuki please and i was like how dare you Okay, that's not that's not gonna happen. No, that that's was not really happen. that was really interesting to to see. Like on the subject of Carey Price, like why, like considering what the goaltending situation is like, why would you have interest in Ilya Samsonov? That's that's very interesting I mean, to see. Price is gonna be thirty five in the off season, right? Right, he's, he's the same age as me, so you got to start planning ahead and. I think maybe having seen Caden Primo a little bit this year, they're thinking they got to boost that uh, goaltending position a little bit. Cause you look at what Jeff Gordon had in New York and they continually had tons of good goaltenders in that organization. They weren't satisfied with just having Lundqvist. They brought in Georgiev and just Jerkin. Yeah. heart trophy candidate this year. So I, I feel like the search to, bolster the canadians goaltending depth is ongoing right now and i don't know if it's too much to read into the price situation on that but there there's definitely something there i mean whether it's just we they know that there's an expiration date on price or whether they think that he might not be able to come back it's something to talk about for sure um yeah, i don't want to keep yeah, you too I, much I longer dream, but yeah, I understand it's like it could be like loose interest. It might not be the, a big thing to write about, but just yeah. it was just something that was really intriguing for me to read. Yeah, someone says Monty's not a future starter. Uh, I don't think so. I, I like what he's done doing lately, but I think he's like at his age, if he hasn't proven it yet, he's probably not a future starter. Um, I did see a question saying like uh, they thought that I was going to talk more about Dodger to Foley on the show. I mean, yes, we will all miss Dodger to Foley. It's it's very sad that we've lost Dodger to Foley in this organization and the Calgary flames tweeting welcome Dodger to Foley right away after the trade was disgusting and offensive. <laughs> it's but, twisting the knife. I know that's awful. How could you do this to us? But uh, I will say for those here, like let us know in the stream chat. If at some point in the near future, you want us to do a Montreal Canadians pets, ranking or like rating and we can do a show where we give them like a ranking out of 10 based on uh how much we like the pets people like pets people like dogs especially i think people would gravitate to that <laughs> yes please yeah okay robert all right we'll do it we'll do a show i'll pick a day where uh we have people who want to do that and we'll do a pet ranking of montreal canadians pets i think that'd be a fun show we got to talk about something yeah. while this team uh finishes out the rest of the year what we'll do is we'll get everyone to submit their favorite Montreal Canadiens pets, and then we'll go through them on the show live. I'll do it so that I can actually upload it before the show, and we can show it on stream which pet we're talking about. Yeah, because uh, I have no clue who has what pets. Neither, I neither do I. I, I know about Milo that. Suzuki. That's Suzuki's cat. Okay. No. Okay. All I, right. I don't know. One. I don't. I don't know anything about these pets, bro. Like I'm looking <laughs> at these players. I don't care about pets. Sorry. I, I shouldn't say I don't care about pets. I, it's not something that I focus on. Julian McKenzie, anti-animal. You heard? No. It don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. I don't want people going to be saying that. That's not true. Oh yeah, that's a good question. Does Marty St. Louis have a dog? We don't know. I don't know. We don't. Got to find this out. We got to do some investigative journalism, folks. We got to find every single pet <laughs> loosely associated with the Montreal Canadiens. And if we have bonus time on that day, maybe we'll get viewers to submit their pets and I'll throw it into the OBS and we'll go through it. All right. I'm going to wrap it up because Julian's got work to do. I've got work to do covering the Olympics for my last episode of Game Over International, which is live tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. I'm going to do this one on my own. So I'll need the people who are going to be in the stream chat to give me some questions and talk to me. It's going to be. The last one, and then on Sunday night at 8.30 p.m., it's going to be me, Omar, and Sean Fitzgerald is going to join us, and we're going to recap Canada's performance at the Olympics, what went wrong, what went right, best stories. And if you haven't seen the show from this morning that I did with uh, Mikey Stevens and Erica Lindsay Ayala, please watch it because there's some great stories that we shared on that one, including one from Erica where you can actually see both of our minds 
get blown in the moment because it's such an amazing story. And that's what the Olympics are all about. So before we uh, close this out, Julian, tell all the people at SDPN where they can find you. Uh, the athletic, I will be uh, hopping off now to work on my uh, plus minus column that comes out every uh, either late Thursday night or Friday. Looking at the time, it's going to be a Friday release, it looks like. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have that going for me, which is nice. Uh, brand new episode of the Chris Johnston show. I host that podcast. It is out. Uh, we talked about other things beyond Ben Sherratt. Uh, also looking as if it's going to come on Friday. Uh, the Hockey Inside Out show from the Montreal Gazette, which I do with uh, Stu Cow and Jessica Rusnak and Rick Green, former number one overall pick of the Washington Capitals. He knows a thing or two about losing, uh, but he's a great guy. He won a Stanley Cup with the Canadians, eventually ended up behind the bench as well. I just like ribbing him on the fact that uh, he was on the Capitals and he has a minus. Uh, zone time. Uh, we talked about a really cool idea this week. Myself, Justin Cuthbert, uh, Avery Lewis, McDougal, and Tic Tac Tomer actually what if during the World Cup we put together a team with players of West Indian descent? Like you add that at Team West Indies. I think it's a good idea. Avery pulled out his uh, Trinidad and Tobago jersey straight from the Mighty Ducks too. That was a really good, really good time. I have a lot going on, and uh, I can't wait for this week to be over so I could just take a long rest for the weekend. And uh, I'll be back on Sunday to uh, host Game Over Montreal one last time. Hell yeah, you will. <laughs> he says one yeah. last time. I'm like, Julian, you want to host some more? <laughs> oh, hey, I got I to gotta start saying no to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the stream. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back. I mean, Julian will be back on Sunday, as you mentioned, and I'll be back next week to host the rest of the season for Game Over Montreal, most likely. We won't burden Julian with too much more. Someone I'll already like, tweeted, hey. I'm anti-animal. You see what Oh, no. Doing? It's not true. Oh, God. Between it's this and the true, fake God CJ accounts, it. we're going to ruin Twitter. Oh, my God. you going to ruin my life. Oh, I'm sorry, Julian. I am. I'm oh, sorry. This is what happens I'm when you don't like eggs. I'm getting out of this podcast. <laughs> you have yourself a good see, rest of the night. See you guys next